0: Hello, and welcome to Key Characters. My name is Hal Crawford. Today, I'm speaking to a guy who invests money in blockchain games. Jan Lieberman is a co-founder at Delphi Digital, a group that began as researchers, became consultants, and finally moved to investing in many things crypto, including, I might add, the organization I work for, Polymos. That's how I came across Jan. He was introduced to me as a Polymos investor. I soon discovered that he has a lot of relevant experience and good insight into what makes a high potential blockchain game. We cover paying to win and the concept of unfairness in gaming, how much weight to put on tokenomics and what regulation is going to do to blockchain gaming. Spoiler, not much according to Jan. Here we go. My name is Jan Lieberman. I work at Delphi Digital. And what do you do there, Jan?
1: I head up the venture arm at the moment. Originally, we all started with a, a group of five of us as a research firm. And so we came from traditional finance background. Personally, got into crypto in May of 2017, where one of the guys that I eventually ended up founding the company with had heard from a friend about Ethereum. We started as a research firm. Bootstrapping a subscription business is tough. It just takes quite a bit of time for the recurring revenue to get to a point where you can actually keep the lights on off of it. So we had we set aside a little bit of runway and tried to start figuring out how to put together a, a research subscription that would be appealing and people would spend money on. And so realizing that it would take some time before you hit escape velocity on that recurring revenue, we also started doing consulting. And initially, the game plan on the consulting front was to be an outsourced due diligence team for funds we started doing that. One thing that we were early on was the trend change in the utility of tokens. So in 2017 and 2018, it was an incredible way to just raise a bunch of money with no strings attached and no rights.
0: And that's certainly has its appeals. It has its appeals. If you're the one raising the money, it can be a bit of a bummer when people change entirely what they're doing No,
1: exactly and then we were obviously on, on that side of the exchange unfortunately we're well, not unfortunately but just based on what we were doing and so shortly after that the bear market hits
0: and it's it changes to okay these tokens exist. Like this how do we make them valuable when i look at games and i'm trying to evaluate them which i think is exactly what you do as well i'm trying to see where real value comes in Is that what you guys do and how do you do it? It's a good question. I don't know if I would think of it directly like that. So
1: the thought process works well for DeFi, right? Because it's a very direct kind of barter type of scenario. You're getting X for Y. Whereas with games, it's a bit different in that the idea is you can allow these tokens to exist in the game, but now you have a token that the players of the game themselves can benefit from the appreciation of if the token is integrated properly and giving that token value, you can then use it as a carrot to bring on new users. So the token is a really interesting tool to use to incentivize certain behavior. But the trade-off with it being very liquid is that you invite the
0: impact of speculators. Game economies are incredibly difficult to balance. When you've got a game, and it's there's a bit of a buzz around it and people are getting involved, tokens are being issued, there's a legitimate game community, and then there's speculators who jump in and suck up that token in the hope of a quick gain. How does that change the dynamic?
1: Yeah, building a game on its own is very difficult. Many games can really be enhanced with some of the functionality of crypto, but That's not to say it doesn't come with its challenges on the building sides. It's a combination of things. So on, on one hand, in the crypto space, people have very short attention spans and the expectation for upside is very high. Opportunity cost of capital is very high, especially when things are going well, because I could be sitting somewhere else. So people are often impatient. And so in DeFi, what you often see is protocols get forked and there's a fairly rapid iteration based on the mistakes of the previous version. And I think that type of expectation was applied to the gaming side. So crypto gaming was primarily used by gamers that were also in crypto, which definitely a decent amount of overlap in that Venn diagram on the cutting edge of technology, you typically find gamers. And so naturally, there's a decent cohort of gamers in the crypto space. Those were the individuals that were playing. The difficulty is games take quite some time to build and when the token is really ingrained in the loops of the game i think the impact of speculation is more significant maybe taking a step back it's worth thinking about certain games have a deeper or more more shallow involvement with crypto itself if you think about games like first person shooters sports games or games that typically don't have any type of pay to win element pay to win is often treated in a binary way and that's not necessarily the correct way to do it i think it's a spectrum right you can have just completely parasitic levels of pay to win and you can also have very minor levels especially if it's introduced in certain early stages the parasitic style just completely takes skill out of the game and then whoever can spend the most wins even call duty has like mild elements of it in the sense that you can pay to progress faster, but in the end, you're reaching the same ceiling, right? And so in the end, once you've progressed through your levels, everyone is sitting with the same gear. The monetization element is just progressing faster. And then you have games that have like effectively none like a chess or just sports games where you're just playing with teams. The type of crypto integration is dependent on the style of the game. The grind type games or the farm sim type games games where you're going through loops and you're building up certain things, those tend to be more in the realm of pay to win. It depends on how many degrees the pay to win element is from the the competitive element of the game. If the monetary element is far away from the competitive element, I think that's a very useful middle ground where you can still monetize a certain population of the game, but it doesn't affect the competitive loop. Because what gives games longevity is the fact that there's massive replay value. Replay value is really diminished when
0: my skill matters less because someone else can spend more. That really takes away from the fun. of the game. You guys mentioned that in the paper that you wrote on crypto gaming and, and its strengths and weaknesses. You talk about the concept of unfairness being basically kryptonite to a game. If it feels unfair, the game is not going to succeed. Absolutely. It is absolute kryptonite.
1: What ends up happening is you attract a certain type of crowd and community as well. And so I think it just doesn't really help in terms of longevity of the game but there are elements
0: where you can monetize the acceleration of certain processes that might be tedious when you're going through and trying to analyze whether a game is a good investment what are you looking for are you looking for team are you looking for experience are you looking for solid dynamics that you know will work mechanics it's a good question so it's funny if you asked
1: early on, I would have, relative to now, the change in my thinking was I would have placed a larger weight on the token dynamics back then than I do now. Now, I think the most important thing is the, the team and the game itself, right? A game needs to be fun. It needs to be playable. And that's what's really going to drive people to come in and play this game outside of this, this the crypto players that we have right now. And so for us, it's really understanding, is this game going to be fun? I've been a lifelong gamer and I played the entire spectrum, AAA titles on, on consoles and real-time strategy games and, RPGs. And I've also played a bunch of mobile games that are incredibly addicting. Clash of Clans, but even the mobile games, I'll download them from time to time and just play them. It's actually just fun to learn how these loops are designed. And I think one of the best ways is to really just play a bunch of them across the spectrum see the differences think about what works what doesn't and where it can be integrated and for us right now it really comes
0: down to the team and the game itself if you're tossing up between a say a triple a studio that has put out a couple of games at least before and they want to incorporate a crypto element a blockchain element into their game or on the other hand you've got some crypto wise guys who've never made a game before which of those two mobs would you go for the former. I I definitely
1: think the gaming side is harder than the crypto side. And then also the issue with games is it's harder to have longevity, whereas some of these things they've won and now they gain market share with games. They have their popular times and then some of the interest kind of wanes off, but the game is still massively played. It's just not to the level that it was played before. And so I think a lot of adjustments have to be made to cater to the user base. And I think that is where the gaming expertise comes into play. There's also elements as you gradually expand the complexity of the game over time, it's important to ensure it's still designed in a way that doesn't come across too daunting for the first-time user. You've thought about it in smaller increments, whereas someone's coming in and seeing it all at once, and if it's an insurmountable amount of information that needs to be processed before you actually understand what's happening, I think that's an art, right? And one that's underappreciated with some of these more complex games is, ensuring the onboarding process is still pretty fluid and new users can come in and hit the ground running rather than just have this mountain of information
0: they need to understand before they can really enjoy the game yeah the ideal is simple to learn difficult to master absolutely i stole that from your gaming paper i think and you see in some of the most successful games like even of rocket league right that
1: game was incredibly low budget Cars playing soccer and it's a game that i played a lot of and I really enjoy and I, like I've played decently competitive Halo back in the day and seen like the best of the best and I think the skill gap between a pretty good Halo player and the best Halo player is nowhere near what it is with a pretty good
0: Rocket League player and the best Rocket League players and um, just because there's this whole aerial element. Of- so tell me now. I'm getting the vibe here that you you could actually be a game developer yourself. You love games. You have a deep knowledge of game economies and gameplay. Have you never been tempted to actually start a studio? I think
1: that's a very generous thing to say. I don't think I'm equipped. What I enjoy, and I think this is the case for most people, is one of the things that drives what you enjoy doing is something you have an edge in. While I think I understand that space enough to invest in it. I don't know that I have enough of an edge to be building it. I much prefer investing and meeting some of these brilliant developers and definitely getting involved on the economics and game loop side and thinking through, because the the, the game loops themselves, they've existed beyond crypto. This is just an additional loop with, with immediate liquidity or some level of liquidity that didn't exist before. And I think that liquidity adds a massive degree of complication. And so for us, it's helping these founders and trying to think through ways that, because I I think designing the game is infinitely harder than designing than integrating crypto into a well-designed game. I do think there's a lot of importance in it happening from the beginning versus, because we've seen this, especially when there was a lot of hype around it, you'd see like a lot of these larger studios with existing games that were on the decline, but still massive audiences look reinvigorate things with the addition of crypto. And I think, I don't necessarily know how well that'll work because we've seen a very strong negative sentiment towards crypto from the gaming community. I think it ends up being a loud minority and that just maybe is a bit misdirected in terms of what the issues are. It's all lumped into this idea of it's all predatory there are of course going to be some predatory designs but well designed ones are are like the fact that it could be considered predatory is, it couldn't be further than the truth in terms of what this actually empowers users to do and actually monetize
0: their time and take advantage of all the effort they put in yeah you're right in terms of what the technology allows it allows greater ownership and uh, control from the point of view of the players however the environment is rife with scams and uh, it is actually just part of the environment that is accepted by players and gamers who are in this space is that inevitable
1: Um, i I think in any kind of frontier technological kind of growth area it only makes sense for there to be scams it that's where the capital is flowing in that's where the attention is and it's where it's easiest to get away with scams, because on average, the person is less informed about what is right and what is wrong because there's no kind of precedent that exists for a lot of the stuff. and so I think it's just natural in that on that side, but I don't necessarily think it should be how the space should be categorized. I guess part of it is where where you can explore how the onboarding process should look for these games. so I think for these games to reach the size of the audience that we believe they can, there needs, I think crypto needs to be in the background at first, right? It should be obfuscated. It shouldn't be a hurdle. Nobody wants to deal with opening up, setting up a wallet and sending, sending money from Coinbase. I don't even have a Coinbase account and you have to go through all these loops. And so that's not necessarily what you want to do, the way you want to do it is still apply, like free to play makes a lot of sense, right? And as an onboarding tool and still continue down that path, but basically use crypto as a carrot rather than a stick, right? You're not that, you don't necessarily need to pay to play, you know, like it's it, the optimal onboarding process isn't to make someone have to buy some assets and and do these things before they play, but rather allow them to play. And once they've progressed far enough, You give them the option would you like to mint this as an nft and put it on chain and you can potentially have some liquidity for it if you don't that's perfectly fine but you give them you offer crypto as a carrot and then you have a gradual portion of the player base that starts to shift into this and i'm still fully in the camp that gaming will be one of if not the largest kind of onboarding tool into crypto when properly applied with really fun games
0: yeah a game that whose philosophy follows exactly what you're talking about is shrapnel i've spoken to the ceo mark long and mark is very much of the opinion that it has to be free to play that there has to be no steep on-ramp in terms of uh, having a crypto wallet or account is shrapnel one of the games that you guys like the look of we did we actually didn't
1: invest at the time at the time the fund was smaller and and we were primarily focusing on seed stage deals and shrapnel this was in uh, 2021 and shrapnel was a later stage deal and so for us it was not within our strike zone that we preferred to do you're either right there at the beginning or you're not there is that your philosophy At the time, it certainly was. That's where we thought we we had the biggest edge as well because at the time, the idea was also to have the crypto component be integrated fairly early on. And so we saw ourselves as more useful in those earlier stages. But in most cases, these games
0: that are also doing the Series A still haven't launched. That is actually one of the problems is that there's an overarching optimism about how quickly you can make a game. Mm -hmm. and, And people just don't have playable demos does that irk you as well
1: yeah i accept it as just the norm some games will have that but i think oftentimes games don't i think this is where having a more experienced founder really pays off because you know that there's pre-seed and seed sometimes there's one around there sometimes there's two but it's that series a is like a difficult financing round and That's where the experience comes into play because on one hand, you really needed to be experienced enough to make sure that seed round got you to where you needed to go. You're a talented game designer, but you have to be a good operator and understand how to manage a team and and balance budget over time to get you to the point where you're in a position to
0: to produce enough quality to justify that that Series A. A sort of a very different example is Alluvium mostly Australian. The Warwick family, you're probably aware of them. They haven't built a game before. And instead of building one game, they decided to build multiple at once. And they were over-optimistic about their timelines and it disappointed the community. What's your vibe on Alluvium? The gaming side in general,
1: because of the amount of complications, I'd say deadlines are probably the hardest to keep. I wouldn't fault them for this necessarily. I think it's more of a sector-wide phenomenon where there's just so many moving parts and so many various teams. It's almost as strong as the weakest link in some cases. And so I think that often causes a lot of the delays. And as a result, it's it just it's something you accept that's yeah. inevitable. And you almost have to factor that into the timeline and the funding. What they've delivered so far is really exciting, fun game. I think they've done a really good job of Yes, the community certainly it has its pros and cons where the pros are, you have these people that are super excited and are ready to go. But the con is when these delays come in, they are going to be overly disappointed. And part of it is because it's not just the time commitment, there's also the financial side. The token can, in in most games, they're all private stage. And so you have a headline that comes out and you're, you're managing an entire community that has financial interests and the price of the token reacts positively and negatively towards this news. And so I think on top of the complexity of building the game, you have to manage this
0: community. And that's a really difficult challenge on its own. So... Yeah, and you've been through through some ups and downs because you were in crypto in 2017. So you experienced the fluctuations of the market a few times since then. I think two big downturns and we're still in the second of those. Is that exhausting? I like to invest and something
1: that helps me excel is just having a very large tolerance for risk and so the swings up are euphoric and the swings down can be tough and so i think what ends up happening is you're just dead inside from the volatility and so it you're just numb to it from that sense and it's just par for the course you have these larger cycles and you also have like
0: smaller cycles within them and i think eventually you just get numb to the volatility the sums involved can be astronomical positive and negative do you gamify it in your head I guess gamify in what sense? What I mean is you're a young man. I don't actually know how old you are. 33. Do you have a family? Do you have people who rely on you? actually have a daughter on the way at the end of the summer,
1: which I'm oh. super excited for. Congratulations. Congratulations. First
0: kid. From this point on, from the birth of your daughter on, you will be this person that people rely on. And I suppose it might be more difficult at that point to disassociate yourself from the potential ruin. I guess my question is how to avoid the stress of worrying about losing everything. How do you do that? I I don't
1: take nearly the same amount of leverage as I did before. And part of it was just getting to a place where... I had enough capital where I didn't necessarily need to take on leverage because you know we bootstrapped the company, we bootstrapped the fund, and leverage was really needed early on. And honestly, it was less so leverage and it was more so just taking highly concentrated bets and the ones that you were really confident in. And so I think that's like it, the leverage side was never really like a make it or break it type scenario is a lot of it was just being confident in your bet and really putting a material portion of what you have into it and playing that. And so I think that's where the risk tolerance really comes into play. So nowadays I'm still making concentrated bets, but not nearly to the percentage of my like total uh, ownership. It's really being in a position where ensuring that I'm never going to have to sell to, to fund life. I think the important is just like in separating the two. And so this is just my risk bucket. And this is my cost of living bucket. And life so, bucket and risk bucket. Li- life bucket and risk bucket. Exactly. And just being able to stomach that. It only takes one or two times to, to get stung to really learn. One, you gradually get better at throughout your entire life, but it's still a uh, really slow one is patience. Uh, avoiding FOMO and chasing or anything like that and really building bets based on conviction and not necessarily understanding that not being in the market is still having an opinion on the market. I think that's been especially helpful when things aren't going that well. And so I think one of the worst things that can happen to to people is after a big downturn, you have a market that chops around and people are, oh, it, it just get chopped up, right? It, it goes down, they think it's gonna get worse, so they sell and then it rebounds and they buy. And so avoiding things like that, I think is really important. This is one of those things where you just need to survive realistically like the best advice i can do is just is survive and for the most part avoiding leverage is really important factor in that and ensuring that it's time in the market less than timing the market and as long as you know you're still alive and and kicking that's one of the biggest uh drivers of ensuring that you, you make it
0: yeah One thing I didn't ask, which I will briefly touch on, is just there's obviously a lot of regulation to happen in this industry. You mentioned back in 2017 that you could issue a token as a really easy way of raising funds. Do you think the impending regulation of tokens is going to impact gaming? It's a good question. I think the
1: impact is going to be unavoidable, but I think gaming will be a lot less impacted than other areas. And I'm actually pretty optimistic on the regulatory side over a longer time frame. particularly in the U S it's also just, it's tough for it to get worse. And I think the powers that be aren't necessarily happy with how things are progressing and then especially if you have international embrace of some of this technology, it, it doesn't reflect well on, on the incumbents in the US. And so I am pretty optimistic on the direction reversing here, but I do think gaming is certainly less directly impacted. A lot of what's happening is going after these exchanges, both like on the the centralized side and the decentralized side, that certainly impacts market liquidity and access to kind of these tokens. So I don't think gaming is impervious in that sense, but I don't expect to see really draconian
0: regulatory action against these games themselves. There's much more low-hanging fruit. All right. So Jan, what's next for you? Is this what you're going to do your whole life? T- making bets, investigating, deep diving, helping companies? Is it is this life for you or is there another dream? I think so. I, at least
1: for as long as I can see forward, I think maybe at a certain point there's uh, there's less time spent on it. If I'm in a position where I'm comfortable enough and you can just spend some more time with kids, I think that I'm expecting my view to change. on Because right now, it's just fully, this is all I'm doing all the time. And so I'm able to be a bit more selfish with the time. But I think as the, the kids start growing up, I certainly want to do that. And it's also just hearing from a lot of other people who have both done well and are still hard at work, just wishing they were able to spend more time with their kids. And so It doesn't seem like something that anyone has mentioned they regret and I think that makes a lot of sense. I definitely want to keep doing this for as long as I can imagine. And the only thing that would probably change is the degree of my involvement. Thank you so much for talking
0: to me today. Likewise. Really appreciate the time. Thank you. Isn't it interesting to start to see the world from another viewpoint? Yarn's world, as we've heard, is all about money, how that energy flows, how things get built and what information you need to allocate the money right. Yarn is looking for the best investments or bets as he candidly calls them. And for him, it's all about gameplay and who's building the game. Thanks for listening and bye for now.